Well, our gospel readings this morning, reading this morning begins with division and violence. First, the violence. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And then the division. The division is in a family. Apparently a father and a mother and a son and a daughter and the father's uh, mother is living with them. Jesus says, for I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. And then he moves on to choosing and losing. The choosing, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And then Jesus moves on to losing. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Swords and violence, family division, loss of life. These are harsh words. They grab our attention and we want to say, is this Jesus, the same Jesus who over here says this? Because they strike us as unusual because we know that elsewhere in the New Testament, Jesus blesses the peacemakers and commands caring and loving within the family and was certainly not divided against his mother. Even in the agony of the cross, he took great pains to make sure that she would be cared for by the apostle John. Well, it may help us to know that Jesus doesn't come up with these lines himself. It's not like Jesus is having a bad day. Or he's ticked off at mom and is going to just get a little bit upset. He didn't come up with these lines himself. He's paraphrasing the prophet Micah from the Old Testament. Micah chapter 7. The day of your punishment has come. Now confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. You can't even trust your own wife. And here the part. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But then Micah say, but it says, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Micah the prophet is saying when God finally moves to save his people, some will be comfortable, not want to be saved, not want to be changed. Some will be welcoming the coming of judgment, welcoming the kingdom of the people and of the land, and that there's going to be a division between the two. Jesus here is saying that what was prophesied long ago is being fulfilled. It's coming true. And some people desire God's work of salvation and some resist it. And that fault line, that division between these two groups runs even through families as much as it runs through everywhere else. And sadly, many of us know that. Many of us have experienced it. Many of us have family members who refuse to talk about even broadly spiritual things, let alone address the specific truth claims of Christianity. Some of them even become angry if there's even the mere whiff of Christianity in the air. 
They have no interest in hearing the call of Jesus and that brings division even to families. And so Jesus says we have to choose. Jesus says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. A choice must be made. Jesus makes it clear here, a choice between love of family and love of Jesus. And the sign of siding with Jesus is take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. And what does that mean? Oh, come on, what do you think it means? Take up your cross and follow me. The cross, a sign of shame in the imperial Rome. You saw crosses just about everywhere. In the Roman world, you didn't have to tell kids what a cross was when it came time for Good Friday. They knew what it was because the cops caught somebody, Roman soldiers, caught somebody breaking into a car over at Littlewood. So they grabbed them, found an old two-by-four behind the school, nailed it to a tree, then nailed the crook to the two-by-four, left a guard, moved on. And the kids show up at school the next day, they learn that's what happens when you steal Didn't have to go far. There was a revolt against the Romans in Galilee when Jesus was about eight or ten, and the, the historian Josephus writes the roads of Galilee were lined with crosses of the rebels. Jesus is eight or ten, you don't think he saw one? The Roman writer Cicero said that we don't even mention the word crucifixion or cross in conversation because it's so horrible. The historian Tom Holland, not the actor who played Spider-Man, but the historian Tom Holland wrote a book, Dominion, which I recommend to you highly. Tom Holland himself is not a Christian, but he writes about, not a, he calls himself a cultural Christian, but not a spiritual Christian. But he says Christianity has had a dramatic effect in shaping the world. In the first part of the book, he, he points out that the, the Romans borrowed the cross from the Persians and that means that as Christianity spreads to the west into the Roman world and into the east into the world of the Persian culture, you would have to travel a very far away before you found people who didn't understand the horror of the cross. And yet he points out that Christianity conquers using this symbol, a symbol of which everyone who came into contact with it knew personally had seen the horrors if people from the ancient Roman and ancient Persian world were here today, they would be absolutely horrified that we have little children carrying this symbol. Maybe you see what Paul means when he calls the cross a scandal, the scandal of the cross. They'd be scandalized that little kids would be connected with this symbol. But Christians, we subverted it, we claimed it, and we boast in it. Five times in three Gospels, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. It still may not mean much to us, so how about this? Follow me and sit down in your own electric chair. Sit down in your own electric chair, right here next to me. 
Now, what if you did that? What if literally you got crucified with Jesus? Got electrocuted with Jesus? What would happen? Well, it's pretty obvious. You would lose your life. And guess what Jesus says next? Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What does that mean? It means when you lose your life, you find your life. It means you get a new identity. You get a new life. And the Greek word here is interesting. There's three words in Greek that are translated into English as life. There's the word zoe, which means a living thing. That's where we get the word zoology from. Bios, which is more like a life force, the force of life. Of course, that's where we get biology from. And psyche, an inner life. That's where we get the word psychology from. We make the same distinctions in English. We just use the same word life. We might say, there's life in the forest. That means there are individual living things in the forest. Or we might ask, does it have life? In other words, does it have that life force within it? Or you might say, tell us about what's going on in your life. And we mean, of course, your inner life, your mind, psyche, psychology, and that's a good way of thinking about it. And I'm not using the word psychology today professionally or academically, just kind of loosely, just, just the way we kind of talk about it in conversation. Jesus isn't talking about getting a new biological life, but a new psychological life. Jesus is talking about your selfhood, your identity, who you are. And notice how skillfully Jesus has set this up. He draws a contrast within the passage between the family and the cross and then moves to a discussion of a new psyche, a new identity, a new life. How much of our identity comes to us from our family? Our personalities? Our habits? The way we walk? You ever watch a little boy walking alongside his dad and they have the same kind of walk. Our interests, our skills, our favorite foods, our holiday traditions, those inside family jokes that shape our lives because there's only a handful of people who know it. And you visit a family and somebody says something like, well, you wouldn't want a wooden cow and everybody cracks up and you're like, Somewhere in the family history, a wooden cow appeared and there's only the special little group of people who know what it means. And you're a part of that group. Even in sociological terms, things like the economic status you grew up in or expectations about your education or the language you're most comfortable speaking, they come from our families. Even biological things like skin color and sex are given to us from our families. These things are given to us from our families and on a psychological level, one thing we get from our families is the way we measure success. Our families teach us what success is either positively or negatively. Either they tell us, teach us what success is or we learn through watching failures in our family. We're taught what success is. Success is having lots of money or success is winning lots of trophies in sports are getting good grades, or having a good, solid job, or having a nice family of your own, or this or that or the other thing. And when you get that, then you'll be successful. When you perform well, 
by whatever standard your family has taught you, then you'll be a success. Your family teaches you that your identity rests on your performance. We've been taught that what we gain gives us our identity. But what does Jesus say elsewhere? Our families teach us that what we gain gives us our identity, but Jesus says, asks, what does it profit someone to gain the whole world and lose their own soul? Our families teach us what we gain gives us our identity. What have you been taught to be successful? You have to win the whole world, and you win the whole world, but you lose your own soul. You can gain the whole world and still lose your soul because you can never have the family, the career, the friends, the academic achievements, the educational achievements, the professional status. You can never have enough to provide a solid foundation for your life. Why is that? Because if you've been taught that your identity comes from what you gain and you gain it and then you lose it and we've all seen this happen to people you lose it or you're blocked from getting it then you're destroyed, devastated, you fall apart. We've all seen people like this, right? But Jesus says the way to save your life the way to gain true identity is to give up your standards of performance to lose your own measurements of your own self-worth to take up your cross, to follow Jesus and lose your life. And when you do that, you find it. And an important point, Jesus does not say, I want you to give up trying to get your identity from, say, your career, your family, your friendships, your accomplishments, and get your identity from religion and being a good moral person. Because some of us were taught that being successful meant that we were good moral people or that our value was tied up with being a religious person. But morality and religion are just as performance-based as athletics or education or career. No, Jesus is saying to find your identity, you have to find your value in his performance and what he has accomplished. And how do you do that? Well, Jesus tells us by taking up your cross, losing your life, and gaining a new life through what Jesus did on the cross. Now look, this is exactly what Paul tells us in our Romans reading this morning. Do you not know, Paul asks, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. We were identified with Jesus in in his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him. Our old self, our old identity is crucified with Jesus, raised with him, and now we walk in newness of life. Now, what's all that mean? Now, how can, you, how can you possibly take up your cross and be crucified with Jesus? Because Jesus identified with you while he hung on the cross. And if you believe that Jesus lived the life you should have lived and died the life you should have died and that he took your place, see, he took up your cross and he lost his life for you. And when you see that, then you can see that you too can lose your life. You can lose that old performance-based value placed on your life. You can give that up 
the identity that was tied to what you did and what you accomplished, you can find a new life and a new identity based on what Jesus accomplished. And then you can walk in newness of life. In Jesus' name, amen.